Let's hear from God's Word. A reading from 1 John 4, verses 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Good morning. Good to see so many here and elsewhere. Uh, I want to thank uh, the band for that last song we sang. Uh, It just seems so appropriate because for each of us it puts... uh, God and Jesus very much at the centre of all we are. And that's the theme of uh, the letter of Paul to the Colossians that we're looking at in these few weeks uh, during August uh, on Sunday mornings, and particularly the third chapter, Colossians 3. And uh, Evan uh, helpfully... uh, informed us last week that the context of this letter um, was very much that the people in uh, Colossae were being persuaded, really, uh, that they needed all the extras that went with traditional Jewish faith um, in order to be faithful. Um, But that isn't the case. All you need is Jesus. All you need is Christ. And I think that comes across most clearly in the verses we're going to look at this morning, which from Colossians 3 are verses 13 and 14. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So yes, the letter is not just for the church in Colossae, it's for us, for you and for me. Uh, Because we also uh, have a habit of collecting lots of extras when it comes to the life of faith. the unwritten rules of the past to do with uh, dress code for church. Uh, Has anybody got a tie on this morning? No, surprise, surprise. It wouldn't have gone down well in a previous generation, would it? Um, Or behaviour. 
You know, we, well, we're being quiet at the moment, but we aren't before the service, uh, which was always the case. Um, but more importantly, perhaps we do expect people to have a, a level of literacy because our faith is bound up in word. And we interpret that as the written word. So you've got to be able to read to make sense of Christian faith. There are a myriad of different theologies or understandings or interpretations of Scripture and who God is and what Jesus was about and so on and so forth. Um, there are those traditions that uh, what we call fence their communion table. They will only let certain people uh, receive communion. Um, and there are some who will not allow women into positions of authority and leadership and so on and so forth. There are all these little extras that we add in and they're all unimportant because, as Paul tells us, all that matters is Jesus. He is at the heart of it all. And in the first chapter to this letter in, to Colossae, he writes, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So the love and the forgiveness, which he goes on to write about in chapter 3, in chapter 1, is there at the heart of it all as Christ, a gift of Jesus. And so for us as Christians, love and forgiveness are absolutely central to our faith and to our life, our everyday life. The ups and downs, the to's and fro's, the relaxation, the work and all the rest. Love and forgiveness are at the heart of them all. But we struggle, don't we, with these two central things to our faith, love and forgiveness, to really interpret and understand what they are. Forgiveness. What do I have to do to forgive? Uh, do I have to forget? Um, I don't know. How do I really wipe a slate clean? And how do I feel about that? And love, well, we know what love is, don't we? I hope we do, in a sense, because it's one of these things we, we sense. Um, but our emotions are incredibly complex. I mean, the Greeks had several different words to describe different sorts of love, uh, perhaps because they couldn't absolutely pin it down. And our society and we have perhaps too many aberrations and distortions 
of how we interpret or act on what love is. Our reading from 1 John, um, the writer, again writing to a church that um, thought there was a need for more things, more sort of spiritual uh, things that weren't focused on Jesus. And the writer of the letter encouraging uh, those who received it that what really mattered is the God who is love and who is incarnate in Jesus. And so if we struggle to interpret forgiveness and love in our lives, then that's where we need to turn, is it not? To Jesus and how he demonstrates and indeed gives the gift of love and forgiveness. And it's there in the cross that stands clear and focused above everything else in our life and in our faith. Love and forgiveness demonstrated and starkly clear. But I have a feeling that Paul gets it a little wrong because he talks about forgiveness and then talks about wrapping it up in love. And I suspect that love is the gift out of which forgiveness comes and is enabled. So we need to seek the love of Christ. John 15, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. In the passion, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, central because they demonstrate for us the love of God and his forgiveness for us. And so we hear Jesus from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's his gift to those who crucify him. And it's that gift of love that Paul is encouraging to be central for the Christians in Colossae and that it might issue in this further gift to each other of forgiveness. And we see it in the story, do we not, that uh, Martin so graphically illustrated for us earlier with his assistants, the prodigal son. And we always interpret that the Father is our Heavenly Father. And he has that love for his son that the brother doesn't have. God has a love greater than ours and from which we need to draw. And we need to be able to find it in our family lives and in all our different relationships. A love 
that enables forgiveness. So how do we put flesh on these things uh, in our daily lives? To put flesh on love, it's not to do with the sort of Valentine's Day frills uh, or anything of that sort of nature which we uh, are tempted to do. Um, It's not to do with fulfilling our own desires. Um, But it is about purposefully giving ourselves for the good and for the sake of others. That's the model that Jesus presents to us. Yet in human terms, we know how difficult we find it. Um, And we know it's not something that can be created or forced. Um, We do go through life, don't we, with an awful lot of oughts on our backs. We ought to do this. We ought to do that. Um, You know, if I'm... Uh, loving my family, what ought I to be doing? You know, is it the washing up or um, the vacuum cleaning or you know, something practical or is it something else? But we don't want oughts because we have a gift from God and it's simply a gift to be shared. It's not our love that we need to create in order to share it. We don't have to grow it in order to share it more. We need to receive it that we might give it and give it more. We we can try to emulate Jesus all we want. And I guess a lot of Sunday school lessons in the past have been about, well, you know, Jesus is our model. Jesus is our example. But you and I both know, as well as anybody else, that try as hard as we like, we never get there in emulating Jesus by our own efforts. We need the gift And we need to allow Jesus to live in us. That's another theme of Paul's, isn't it? That Christ dwell in us. And it is his love and his life that lives through us and enables us to forgive. So how does all this then issue in forgiveness, which I reckon is perhaps the toughest and the most difficult element of Christian life and faith to really get our lives uh, around? I turn to uh, the internet as usual. Not Google, because I knew about it before, but you may look up the Forgiveness Project. Is forgiveness a project in your life? Well, the Forgiveness Project on the internet is uh, uh, an offering of examples, really, stories, real stories, of people who have been enabled to forgive others or have forgiven others 
in all sorts of ways. Um, and there's a broad understanding of what forgiveness is there, and it's not a particularly Christian website at all, or project. But one thing that comes across, I think, is that the do-it-yourself forgiveness, just me trying to forgive, so often, if not always, fails. There are those who tell their stories on the, through the Forgiveness Project where they openly recognise that they are forgiving for their own sake. I can't live with that burden, so I need to forgive. It's got nothing to do with the other person. It's all focused on them. But reading those, such stories, I ask, well, but where's the love? Where is the healed relationship? Where is the new relationship built and strengthened? So simply to forgive for my own sake is not the whole story at all. One story, again not a particularly Christian story, a lady called Kia Sher, whose husband and son were uh, killed in the attacks in Mumbai some years back now. Uh, I'll just read what she wrote. My family all gathered round me and we cried together. In total shock, we just stared at the aftermath of the attack on TV, trying to understand. That's when I first saw the face of the lone surviving terrorist. A young man about the same age as my son's. And seeing him there, the words of Christ just came to me. Forgive them, they know not what they do. I said my family thought I'd gone mad, but I explained, no, I mean it. Since love is lacking here, compassion is what we need. Making sense of the outpouring of love that her family and she herself received, for her a self-focused spirituality became something outward-looking, relationship-focused. And she says that forgiving is forgiving life. Not particularly a Christian, yet words of Jesus somehow came. Father, forgive. A gift. And she felt able to forgive those who had murdered her family. John again in his first letter writes, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Not a lot of hot air, but something of substance that has an impact on those we love. And our motivation, always Christ. Colossians 1, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness 
and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. I think another sort of practical example of forgiveness or attempts at forgiveness um, may be found in what's called restorative justice, uh, which are elements which we find in our own justice system and prison system, seeking to enable uh, those who have offended to be in some way reconciled with those who they have offended against. In 2008, Tim and Grace Idowu's third child, a 14-year-old son called David, was stabbed in a park in South London. Elijah Deoni, the 16-year-old lad who had perpetrated this, um, received a sentence of 12 years. The Adowu family were obviously distraught, torn apart, but were very faithful, or are very faithful Christians, and prayed hard about how they should proceed, what could they do to make things better out of this awful situation. And it's that life of faithful prayer that led Grace initially to want to meet with Elijah, which she did two years after the atrocity. Um, and it, that was at a restorative justice meeting uh, at the Young Offenders Institute where he was. The lad asked for forgiveness saying he didn't mean to kill uh, her son. And she says, I told him about David and about David's three brothers. I said, you've taken our best friend from us. And then I leaned over and said, but I want you to know that I forgive you. And I hugged him. I left that day feeling a huge sense of relief, both for me, but also because one day this young man will be released from prison and I don't want his bitterness to destroy his life as well as the lives of others. And she got Elijah to write a letter to her other sons and then I think the year after, her husband um, was also led uh, to be able to be in the same room uh, as Elijah, who had murdered his son. But all that came out of this prayerful relationship with the God of love and forgiveness we know in Jesus, the prompting and the gifting the strengthening, the enabling. The God who in Jesus says, I do not condemn, but I redeem. I come to offer life. That comes from 
that well-known passage, John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn, but to save the world through him. And we're in that same position, are we not? That we are here to redeem through him, through his gift, with his gift, enabled by this gift of love. I have forgiven you, so you should forgive one another. So love and forgiveness. There's one other element to these three verses, two verses in uh, Colossians 3, and that's about bearing with one another. Um, the first thing that came to my mind was the comedy sitcom Miranda, uh, whose uh, accomplice, associate, Tilly, would always go, bear with, bear with. All to do with creating a bit of space. I don't want to enter this conversation now. I'm doing something else. Bear with, bear with. And it strikes me that that is another crucial element to all this, is actually allowing people their own space to, di to discover this gift of God, of love and forgiveness. It's not something we can force. We can say, I forgive you, but we can't expect an immediate reply, oh, well, I forgive you too. Because we each need our own space to discover this gift of love at the centre of Christian faith at the centre of human life. We can't pressure others into allowing Christ to be their motivation, to be their saviour. But he is perhaps like the father of the prodigal son, patiently waiting and looking out. It may be that when it comes to forgiving others and we look around to uh, find, well, how do other people do it? We would say, well, they can, but I don't feel I can. I can't. In some ways, that's irrelevant because Christ will. And the Christ who, through his love, dwells in us will enable us to forgive as he forgave us in giving his life on the cross. Amen.